Welcome, foolish mortals, to Latin for Satanists, a podcast about tabletop RPGs, goth music, and anything else I want to talk about. I am your ghostly host, Non-Solian. Greetings, foolish mortals. I recently received my copy of the Swords and Wizardry boxed set, so I thought that I would do an unboxing and review. Uh, I know this is a podcast, so we won't be able to see it. Um, I'll do my best to describe it, although I'm not going to go into elaborate detail to create a mental image. There's plenty of other unboxings you can probably look at on YouTube, or you can go online and get pictures of it. Um, but I would I would like to talk about it today. To begin with, I wasn't initially planning to back this Kickstarter. Um, and when I finally did back it, uh, it was pretty late on. Um, I put off backing it for quite a long time. The reason for that was... First of all, uh, at the time, I wasn't running uh, Swords and Wizardry Complete, and the boxed set is based on the Swords and Wizardry Complete rule set. I had been running a campaign of Swords and Wizardry White Box, which is the most uh, stripped-down version of Swords and Wizardry um, available. So uh, I wasn't convinced that this box set would actually come in handy um, the other thing was, because it was a box with the rules divided up into smaller booklets, um, a booklet for the player the player rules, a separate booklet for all the spells, a separate booklet for all the monsters, and then one final booklet for all the Game Master rules, or referee rules. Swords and Wizardry refers to the Game Master as the referee. I... I figured it was probably an attempt by Frog God Games to capitalize or piggyback on the success of uh, Gavin Norman's Old School Essentials box set, which was the successor to Gavin's earlier BX Essentials, already a a very highly acclaimed rule set in the old school D&D gaming community. And I already had backed the old school essentials kickstarter um so you know in fact i already have the uh the old school essentials box set so i thought of it as kind of a like a cash grab or a johnny come lately thing and i also wasn't sure that the uh the rules would be useful to me since i wasn't running that version of swords and wizardry So why did I end up changing my mind? Uh, Two reasons. First of all, although I was running the white box version of Swords and Wizardry, um, I did use the complete rule set for monsters and for treasures as well, but mainly for monsters. There are far more monsters in the complete rule set than there are in the white box rule set. And although the game system, the game mechanics aren't 100% compatible, it's very easy to convert. Um, To convert a complete 
rule set monster into a, the white box version of it, all you have to do is remember that hit dice are d6, not d8s, um, that damage dice are based around d6s, so there'll be d6s or multiples of d6, and that most white box monsters don't get more than one attack, so if you see an attack routine that includes more than one attack, like a claw claw bite, just ignore it and give them one attack. There are a few exceptions to that. I think the the white box Hydra still gets one attack per head, and I believe the Manticore still gets to throw 1d6 of its spikes off of its tail. Um, but it's usually pretty obvious if there's a good reason that a white box monster would get more than one attack. It would be because it has something like more than one head or, or you know, yeah, a lot of spikes or something like that. So it's really easy to convert... Uh, swords and wizardry complete monsters into white box monsters but what i would have to do if i were running one of those monsters is i would have to scroll through the cumbersome swords and wizardry complete pdf to get to the monster section and then look it up and i started to think well having all the monsters in one little booklet which of course will be arranged in alphabetical order will make finding monster stats a lot quicker and easier the other reason was purely aesthetic. Um, the Swords and Wizardry box set comes in two versions. The standard version is a black box with full cover art. Um, pretty good cover art. Frog God Games always do a pretty good job at commissioning good art from good artists. So you, um, the artwork on their products is consistently high quality. But they had a special limited edition collector's box which is uh, in fake wood grain with a fairly plain white label, obviously emulating the original version of D&D, the original boxed set, which we often refer to as the white box, published in 1974. Now, I do not own an original D&D white box, Um I wouldn't know where to track one down, and if I did, I couldn't afford it. I I don't expect I will ever own a real original D&D white box. So this is kind of the closest I'll get to it. Um, so between wanting the monster booklet and wanting to own at least something that's sort of like an original D&D white box, uh, that's why I ended up changing my mind. And so, obviously, I backed it at the uh, the physical award level for the um, limited edition box set. I normally don't back Frog God things at the physical level because uh, I have to pay international shipping since I don't live in the United States, and that's prohibitively expensive, but I made an exception for this because I really wanted this box. And so... Today we're going to be opening the box, and I will be uh, describing the contents and giving you my thoughts on it and deciding whether or not I think it was ultimately worth the money. So before I get into the actual unboxing, I thought it would probably be, probably be useful to um, go into a little bit of background about what Swords and Wizardry is and uh, go through a little bit of the terminology just in case any of you aren't um, 
old school gamers. So Swords and Wizardry is a tabletop role playing game rule set. It's um, what we call a retro clone, which means that it imitates the rules of an earlier edition of a role playing game, in this case, Dungeons and Dragons. It is a reinterpretation of the rules of original Dungeons and Dragons, which is we sometimes also call OD&D or Zero Edition. Uh, if you do play D&D, and if you play modern D&D, you're probably aware of the numbered editions. We're currently on 5th edition. 1st edition technically refers to the first edition of Advanced Dungeons and Dragons. And second edition is the second edition of Advanced Dungeons and Dragons. Third edition is the one where Wizards of the Coast had uh, purchased Dungeons and Dragons from the defunct TSR and dispensed with the two versions of the game, the basic version and the advanced version. And then, so from that point on, it's just called Dungeons and Dragons and... They released 3rd edition, then 3.5, 4th, and so on. But Advanced Dungeons & Dragons was not literally the first version of the game. Dungeons & Dragons was first published in 1974 in a little wood grain box with a plain white label with a little bit of uh, artwork on the front, uh, a line drawing, basically. It consisted of three, three rule books. The first one, Men in Magic, taught you how to create a character and outlined the spells and the equipment. And you could imagine that being roughly comparable to what would someday be released as the Player's Handbook. The second uh, booklet was Monsters and Treasure. Exactly what it says, it's Monsters and Treasure. Um, obviously, the Modern-day monster manuals don't include treasure, but you could see right away this is comparable to what would someday become the monster manual. And the third booklet was called Underworld and Wilderness, and that gave advice for how to create content, how to create an adventure, how to create a dungeon, how to adjudicate your party or the party moving through a wilderness area, it had random tables to roll on for monster encounters and other rules like that. Um, it's easy to see this as basically the earliest version of the Dungeon Master Guide because that's a, the, the, the word Dungeon Master or the term Dungeon Master wasn't in use at this time. Instead, the Game Master was referred to as the referee, but it's basically it's rules for how to be the dungeon master. And you can also see that from the very beginning, this three core rule book format was firmly fixed in Gary Gygax's mind. But these weren't hardcover books. They were little soft cover digest size books to fit in this little box. And we often refer to those as the three LBBs or three little brown books. Uh, the game was far simpler than it would eventually become. There were only three classes fighting man or fighter, magic user, and cleric, and there were only th four playable races. It was by default assumed you would be human, in which case you could play any class and advance to any level. You could also play an elf, 
which would allow you to switch between being a fighter or a magic user, but it would cap your advancement at, I think, fourth for a fighter and I believe ninth for a magic user. You could never advance beyond that. Uh, if you were a dwarf, you could only play a fighter. And I think you could only go as high as sixth level. And a halfling could also only be a fighter and only go as high as fourth level. Spells only went up to level six for magic users and only level five for clerics. All hit dice were d6s and all damage dice were d6s. So all weapons did a d6 of damage. So a very stripped down and far simpler version of the game than most people play today. Uh, all, of the, all of this changed um, about a year later, or a little over a year later, when the first supplement was released. Supplement number one, Greyhawk. Despite its name, it contains no campaign information about the Greyhawk setting. Instead, it introduces the Thief class. It introduces the Paladin. It introduces spells of up to ninth level for magic users, and I think up to seventh level for clerics. It introduces some iconic spells like Magic Missile, which did not exist in the original game. It introduces variable hit dice and variable weapon damage. So from then on, fighters roll a d8 for their hit dice and magic users roll a d4. Um, it introduces some iconic monsters. Um, the, the Beholder was first introduced in the Greyhawk supplement. There would eventually be five supplements uh, included in original Dungeons & Dragons. Uh, the second one was Greyhawk, which like... Or the second one was... Uh, the second one was Blackmoor, which, like Greyhawk, didn't include, it didn't actually include any setting information, but it did introduce the assassin and the monk, and a lot of rules for water-based combat and a lot of water-based monsters. And it also included the very first adventure module. Before then, uh, Dungeons & Dragons never supplied you with any actual gaming content apart from the rules. It was expected that you would make up your own dungeons. Um, the first time they supplied a ready-made dungeon and adventure scenario was in the, the Blackmore supplement, which included a very early version of what would eventually be called the Temple of the Frog. Uh, the next supplement was Eldritch Wizardry, and that basically just included a lot more spells, monsters, and magic items. And then the final one, the, the final official supplement was called Gods, Demigods, and Heroes. And that was um, gaming statistics, so like stats for running the deities and mythological creatures of existing Panthea. Like there were rules for the Greek gods, the Norse gods, etc. Uh, if I remember right, there were also some fictional uh, Pantheons in there. Um, although that would eventually get them into trouble because some of those were copyrighted. Um, there was an unofficial fifth supplement called Swords and Spells, which was rules for mass combat. Um, it's normally th listed as a, an OD&D supplement, although it wasn't officially considered. It was more like an extra set of rules tacked onto the game if you were going to run mass combat in a D&D context. It worked. It, these rules gelled better with the D&D rule set than the earlier mass combat system, which was chainmail. So all of this 
collectively is what we call original Dungeons and Dragons. Um, to this, you would also include any of the supplementary material that was published in Dragon Magazine during this period, during the print run of original Dungeons and Dragons. It went through several printings and it had several supplements. But certain classes, like the Bard, for instance, was originally introduced in Dragon Magazine. I believe the Mind Flayer was first introduced in Dragon Magazine. Um, and I think even the Ranger was originally introduced in Dragon Magazine. So there was a lot of stuff that it became you know, what you would consider as core D&D content that was introduced in their their periodical magazine rather than in an official supplement. So any rule system that recreates any content from original D&D would be considered a clone of original D&D. Swords and Wizardry comes in three different flavors currently. Um, the one that Frog God Games, the publisher of Swords and Wizardry, pushes most is Swords and Wizardry Complete, which gathers up all the rules all, from all the supplements, including the mass combat rules, and including stuff that I that was originally introduced in uh, Dragon Magazine. And they just put it all in there, so you have all of that available. The entire print history of original Dungeons and Dragons is more or less reproduced in Swords and Wizardry Complete. There's a more basic version called Swords and Wizardry Core, which mainly different, different, mainly different from Swords and Wizardry Complete by having fewer classes and races to choose from. Um, you can be a thief, but I think it basically is, yeah, fighter, magic, user, cleric, thief. Um, I think it restricts you to the four core races as well. So uh, human elf dwarf and halfling um whereas complete will allow you to be like a a half a half elf and a half orc i may be wrong about the half orc thing but i'm pretty sure you can be a half elf in swords and wizardry complete um it still has the ninth level spells it still has all the monsters uh the the actual core rule book only reproduces i believe the mass combat rules it doesn't include um aerial combat or ship-to-ship -ship combat, which you can find in Swords and Wizardry Complete. But if you did get complete, if you were running core, um, so you weren't allowing things like the Assassin class or something, you could get those, the aerial combat rules and the ship-to-ship -ship rules um, and run them in your core game, and they would be completely compatible. Although I personally i've never run aerial combat or mass combat i have run ship to ship combat but only in fifth edition where it would work very differently and then then the final flavor um of swords and wizardry which is the one that i was running for a little mm -hmm. over two years is white box now this is probably a little bit confusing because all the D and D, all the original D and D supplements were published in what we call the white box. But when you talk about a rule set as being white box, you mean that it's sticking to the three original booklets. You mean that it's sticking to um, the three core classes. A lot of them will add the thief unofficially or as an optional class. That you'll be sticking to a d6 for all hit dice, a d6 for all damage dice, spells up to 6 level only. You'll be sticking to that 
the absolute original version. And so because that's the version I was running, that's why I didn't initially want to back the Kickstarter. Because I was like, well, I don't need um, the complete rule set. I have no intention of running it. It's, uh, I mean, Swords and Wizardry Complete is still very much rules-like compared to, say, well, definitely compared to Pathfinder or 3.5. And even compared to uh, 5th edition, it's still much looser. But... It wasn't quite loose enough for me at the time. So, um, yeah, I wasn't originally interested in uh, in purchasing this. But I did anyway. And yeah, f- those are the uh, the three basic versions of Swords and Wizardry. The one that, the one that, so White Box, which emulates the uh, three little brown booklets only. Core, which pulls in everything from the Greyhawk supplement, and Complete, which pulls in everything that was published as original Dungeons and Dragons. Everything that was published before um, the Holmes Basic boxed set came out in 1978, and uh, or the first edition Player's Handbook. So, with that out of the way. Let's get to the unboxing. So, first of all, there is the box itself, um, which is beautiful. Um, It's exactly what I was hoping for. So it's a cardboard box, very sturdy. It's a lot deeper than I uh, anticipated. They did give the dimensions on the Kickstarter, but I never bothered to actually get my ruler out and measure them. Um, So it's a bigger box than I expected. And uh, they suggested on the Kickstarter that, you know, the extra space would be good for, you know, keeping things like dice or miniatures in them, but also possibly more supplements. Um, and I I do hope they produce more supplements size to fit in this box. Um, but it's a great box. It's got a beautiful fake wood grain thing. I believe the original D&D white box the white label was pasted on the top, so printed separately and pasted on the top. I'm not 100% certain about that, but uh, I believe it is. In this case, the what would be the white label is actually part of the cover artwork, so there's nothing that will, you know, it'll never peel off by accident or anything, so it'll probably uh, increase the shelf life. It's got the word Swords and Wizardry in a kind of faux medieval style font, like a kind of a gothic texture a thing it's not precisely the same font as the word dungeons and dragons were on the original white box but it evokes that it's in a nice dark blue color whereas uh the original one i believe was in a reddish color um and it says swords and wizardry rules of the original fantasy role-playing game playable with dice paper and pencil by matthew j finch who's the author of the rule set um that that subtitle is a callback to the original uh subtitle of dungeons and dragons which was rules for fantastic medieval war games campaigns playable with paper and pencil and miniature figures that's um, a bit of a Gary Gygax's wordiness. He was never one to use one word when he could use 15. Um, but I love that because I love the callback to the original 
the original white box set. Uh, it also features a black and white line drawing of a heroic, or in this case, monstrous figure, much like the original did. So instead of full color art, which TSR couldn't afford at the time, they had a little traced line drawing, and they would eventually have to change the cover art because um, they basically traced over somebody else's copyrighted illustration and eventually uh, the original author found out and threatened to sue them. Um, this one, the, the Swords and Wizardry art, is a giant. I, I don't know whether it's... I, I imagine it's probably meant to be a storm giant. Um, he's wearing a horned helmet and he has a chipped axe slung over his shoulder and some humanoid corpses hanging from his belt he seems to be standing on a rocky ledge and hiding behind the rock is a sneaky fellow i don't know if it's really meant to be a thief or not um i i like to imagine it's a thief waiting to get a backstab in it's all of it it very much evokes the original white box which is just what i wanted um there is another fake white box out there um the uh the role-playing game castles and crusades which is not an old school role set per se it's more like a slightly more rules light version of fifth edition with old school sensibilities it predates fifth edition and i know that some people are pretty convinced that some of the innovations, like the rules innovations of 5th edition, were inspired by or possibly even straight up stolen from Castles and Crusades. I don't know if that's true, but there are a lot of similarities. And I think like if you were wanting to get a little bit more old school flavor into your game, but you were running modern D&D, that Castles and Crusades would be a pretty good step in that direction. Because um, it's it's very similar to 5th uh, to edition in a lot of ways but it doesn't have cumbersome things like skills and feats and stuff like that. Um, anyways, they do a white box. In their case, the box is completely white. Um, and later printings of original Dungeons & Dragons were in a completely white box, which is probably why we call it the white box, even though the very first boxes were not all the way white. Um, I, like, I think the wood grain looks better, and if I were ever going to collect a white box like an original one i would want one of the earlier fake wood grain ones um, another thing about the castles and crusades booklets is they do say they're condensed versions of the full rules um, i don't know what they're leaving out because i don't own it i do own the full version of castles and crusades i don't own their white box i don't know when they say condensed, are they just leaving out some of the more flowery prose, or are they leaving out certain game mechanics? I don't know how complete a rule set it is, but the as we'll see, the contents of this box don't leave anything out of Swords and Wizardry Complete. The entire game is in this box, so you're not missing. If this is the only version of Swords and Wizardry you ever buy, it's got the complete game and there's no material you're missing. So personally i would prefer this box to the castles and crusades one now i have actually opened the box before and reorganized things slightly but originally the first thing that you see well the first thing you see is a set of dice um, it comes with dice um, my dice are green with white numbers um, i've seen somebody else's unboxing like a standard box and they were also green 
with white numbers. Um, so possibly all of them are the same. Um, I like these dice. I really like the look of them. Green's my favorite color, but bizarrely, I, until I opened this box set, I didn't own a set of green dice. Um, at least just solid green dice. Um, and the last time I got free dice with a Kickstarter, the dice were transparent orange, and I hate orange. So they're good quality dice, but I hate looking at them. So I really like these dice, and I was very pleased with that. And then underneath is a little insert which is basically just a, a short thank you letter from matt finch um and i'm gonna go ahead and read that to you it says thank you for purchasing and playing this copy of swords and wizardry if this is your first time playing the game i'd like it i'd like to be the first to welcome you into the swords and wizardry community and if you're a longtime player thank you for your support over the years since 2008 when the game was first released most importantly whether you're a new player or an experienced veteran please read the rules with the swords and wizardry motto in mind imagine the hell out of it Matthew Finch, our author. Um, imagine the hell out of it is basically Matt Finch's, you know, catchphrase. Um, and I always like that. I think it's important to remember when playing any role-playing game, the importance of imagination in it. Uh, the rules are fine, but they should never stand in the way of you using your imagination to create memorable experiences and scenarios. So the next thing I'm going to take out of the box is uh, it comes with a little laminated bookmark, which has cover art reprinted from the player's book on one side. And on the back side, it has the Frog God Games SW logo, which you see on any product that's intended for swords and wizardry. Um, the I believe officially the bookmark is part of the accessories pack that I got as an add-on so i don't know if you'll get that if you just order the box set um but i think it's a a, a useful thing to have because the booklets aren't as compartmentalized as say old school essentials are and they don't open and lie flat so if you know you're going to be referring to a certain section of a book frequently during the during the game the bookmark will be will make it a lot easier for you to get to that section uh quickly next there is a little pad of character sheets so they're all digest size what i would probably call a5 because i live in the uk although i don't think this is exactly a5 size but that's like the closest um the closest size to what were to what these are um, this is a pretty common size for physical books in the old school community um, they I mean, they're small and portable I uh, I think they're big enough um, so I'm really happy with uh, with this size layout in terms of the character sheet it does do the thing that annoys me with old school character sheets which is that it gives the attributes in modern order strength dexterity constitution intelligence wisdom charisma um that's the order that was uh, established in second edition ad and d when they'd kicked gary gygax out of the company and they were looking at the rules and they were looking at the character sheets and they're like why is it arranged this way which the original 
order was strength, intelligence, wisdom, constitution, dexterity, and charisma. When the thief class was introduced, they switched dexterity to come before constitution, but they kept everything else the same. And I guess with Gary Gygax no longer in the company, nobody remembered why the, the attributes were given in that order. So they changed them to be physical first and mental second. But notice they didn't put them in alphabetical order. It should have been, you know, if you're going to completely rearrange them, wouldn't it have made more sense to do constitution, dexterity, strength, and then charisma, intelligence, wisdom? But they didn't do it that way. They kept them in the order they had been listed. They just divided them into physical and mental. Which, you know, it's fine. But in old school D&D, they were listed by the prime requisites of each class in order of Gary Gygax's preference. Gary Gygax liked fighters best, so strength comes first. He liked magic users second best, so intelligence comes first. He didn't really like clerics at all, so that's why wisdom comes next. Then he listed uh, constitution, because although that's nobody's prime requisite, everybody needs hit points, and constitution affects your hit points, so that's the next most important thing in terms of your survivability. Dexterity came after constitution because everybody gets a bonus to their missile or ranged attacks based on a high high dexterity. So that's useful for every character, especially since you'll probably survive a lot longer if you hang back and make missile attacks rather than wading up in front to melee. A lot of D&D monsters don't have good ranged attacks. So if you stick to ranged attacks, you stand a much better likelihood of doing damage to monsters when they can't return that damage to you. I mean, think about a bunch of zombies or skeletons. Well, skeletons sometimes have bows, but zombies very rarely have any ranged attacks. So if you have a pack of zombies and you can hang back and pepper them with arrows until they die, you may take no damage in that combat. And then charisma always came last because... For a long time, it was nobody's core attribute, and its main purpose was to in improve reaction roles or allow you to hire more help. When the thief class was introduced, dexterity was their prime attribute, so that's when dexterity got bumped above constitution, but it's still in order of Gary Gygax's preference. So this character sheet doesn't do that, but I'm used to that, uh, so it was with Frog God Games have never produced an old-school character sheet that gives the attributes in the original order. I don't know why. Um, most of the people who work there, who run the company, are old enough to remember the original order. Um, so I don't know why they don't just do it. I don't know why they didn't do it even just by accident, just saying, oh, this is the order it should be in. But they don't. Everything else in the sheet is fine. It's very small, obviously. Um, it's probably enough space to fit everything you need for a first level character. There's a couple of things that I would comment on. There is space for you to write your saving throw. Uh, in Swords and Wizardry, every character or every, everybody gets one saving throw. Um, and what happens is you make a, you get a bonus to your saving throw for certain types like a fighter gets a bonus to saving throws against death like dwarf i believe gets them to saving throws against poison and gets actually a really big bonus to saves against magic thieves get um 
bonuses to saving throws against traps. So, you know, you have one standard saving throw that you make whenever you need to make one. And if it's a saving throw against a certain type of situation, you might get a bonus based on your class or your race. Um, so there's room to put your saving throw down, but there isn't room to put down what bonuses you get. So you'd have to write that somewhere else. And there's these little boxes um so that yeah they're little boxes on the sheet they are embellished with little things to make them look like spell scrolls or unrolled scrolls they're marked spells class abilities and items and equipment um as you progress especially if you're a spellcaster you're going to eventually struggle to write down everything in those tiny little spaces um i suppose the back side of the sheet is blank so you can always write it there but this is probably fine to be getting on with this is probably fine for a start so moving on i uh, ordered the accessory pack as an add-on uh, which contains two supplements and a game master screen they come wrapped in a little uh glossy paper cover basically like a dust jacket like like that you might find on a hardcover book um, it just it just wraps around them. It's not attached to anything. It reproduces some of the art from the game master screen, as we'll get to later. But the first thing when the first thing you see is the uh, adventure Baron's Gambit, which is a starting adventure. Um, it's basically a dungeon crawl. I haven't read it thoroughly. I've skimmed through it. I have read quite a few of Matt Finch's other adventures. In my opinion, he's one of the better adventure designers out there. And this looks to be the usual quality that you would expect from him. So a, a pretty high quality adventure. Um, what I particularly like about this adventure is that it's intended to start off a campaign. Uh, as, he, as he discusses in the introduction... This uh, this adventure allows the the players to kind of have a, a real impact on the game world, on the game setting. So uh, basically, the uh, the context the the dungeon is in a a new town, a, a town called Gambit that a local baron is trying to establish, and it's possible that the characters, depending on how successful they are in this adventure, could be rewarded with some kind of permanent uh, stake in this new town, a, play, a way to get them really connected to the setting, but also to make sure that their individual decisions as players alter the way that the, the events would have developed uh, beyond there. And I use this approach in my games as well. Um, I think it's a very important way of running a campaign. I, uh, I'm not a big fan personally of the, um, I, I think of them as scripted campaigns where you have an idea of a story sort of, and it's a story that you, you more or less expect the player characters to play along with. And, and you, you have your heart set on a certain outcome and on certain key moments. You know, I, I, I don't do that. First of all, it's a lot of work. Second of all, 
you can't ever guarantee that the player characters will go along and you shouldn't expect them to go along what what you you should be allowing them the freedom to make decisions that you would never have made and then you know have the consequences of those decisions evolve organically um matt finch kind of has the same idea about how how to run a campaign so uh this looks like a very promising start to like if I were going to start up a new campaign using the system. The second supplement is more monsters, more spelled M-O-A-R, and it is exactly what it says. It's more monsters. Um, if there's one thing you can always uh, use, it's more monsters. Uh, so I'm always happy to have extra monsters. In fact, I think the more monsters supplement was probably the, the main reason. I uh, ordered the accessory pack. Um, I haven't counted the monsters, but it's about 24 pages long, and there looks to be an average of two monsters per page, so you'd expect it to be around 48 or 50. And then there is the smallest referee screen or game master screen I've ever seen um, because it does fold up to be digest size. So if for comparison... If you uh, if you take like the the original fifth edition dungeon master screen, it's about maybe two thirds as high as that, um, and it's significantly shorter than the old school style game master screens or dungeon master screens, which were maybe like U.S. letter size but flipped on the long edge, so they stood up tall. So this is a this is really really shallow. I I think it's adorable <laughs> to be honest. Um, the the artwork on the front is incredible. Um, it seems to be it seems, I mean it looks like Castle Grayskull basically. Um, that's what it reminds me of. Um, it's very dark and evocative. Um, I don't use a game master screen anymore. Um, I stopped I stopped doing that and I roll everything in front. And, you know, I, I don't hide, hide anything. I mean, obviously I have like my own stats and material and things like that, that I kind of keep close to my chest, but I don't, I don't have like an entire setup behind this impenetrable wall. Everything's quite out in the open. Um, and therefore the small size of this works really well for me because I wouldn't actually consider this to be much of an impediment to me. Like, I don't like the feeling of being walled off from the players. I like to be up front and more more engaged with them and have them more engaged with me. I wouldn't see this as an impediment. It's got four panels, and the only thing on the panels is the attack matrices, starting with the monster attack matrix on the leftmost panel, then fighter paladin and, paladin and ranger, on the next one, then cleric, druid, and monk, and finally magic user, thief, and assassin. Um, because that's the only thing, it's just these four tables, they're nice and big and very easy to reference. Um, if you're going to only have one type of information on your game master screen for swords and wizardry, I feel like this is probably the correct one. Because um, it's one of the things that you'll probably reference the most. Um, there's a lot of other things that are often included on game master screens that are um, maybe just more intuitive or easier to remember if it's swords and wizardry. And for comparison, I do have 
the original Swords and Wizardry Game Master screen. So that is also four panel, although it's um it's like US letter size and it stands up really tall. So it has the panel one is the character class um attack matrices. Panel two is the monster attack table. Um followed by the turning the undead table. And I think, to be honest, if there was one more piece of information that it would be nice to have beyond the attack matrices, it's probably the turning the undead. Um, that's the kind of thing that you'll probably end up looking up a lot. Um, so that would have been nice. But, you know, it's not that. It's not that, uh, that difficult. Panel three is movement rates. Um, and what is that? Is that... Uh, order of combat so you know it's not like those aren't useful but to be honest movement and combat in swords and wizardry are pretty straightforward um it's not likely that you're going to forget a lot of that um if you're running if you're running encumbrance as written you may want to occasionally refer to the actual weight limits but i know a lot of people kind of homebrew their own easier way to manage encumbrance or, you know, just choose not to do it at all. Um, I personally do more of a BX style is what I've been doing recently, which is that you you do it by their armor, um, the armor they're wearing, and if they're carrying any treasure, and then just try to keep track of how much treasure they're carrying so that it doesn't get ridiculous. Um I've tried other things in the past too, like linking it to your strength score. I can carry as many things as your strength score. Um, that's an it's a simple way to run encumbrance, but it doesn't actually allow you to carry very much. I think it allow I think it's ends up being an impediment. Below that, on the original one, is the different categories of saving throws. So if you're going to use original style, the five saving throws: um, death and poison, wands petrification dragon breath and spells and staves but i mean you can totally use those but one of the one of the great things about swords and wizardry is that single saving throw so i would never go back to the the old way of, of doing saves um I, uh, I i i just think that's way more work than it's worth and then the last panel um, again, it, it lists saving throws by character class, like the, the, the official swords and wizardry saving throws by character class and level, which could be useful, but if we're honest, like, when you level up, you will, um, everybody will note down their new saving throw, and you just ask them to make a save, and I find my players are always perfectly honest about whether they made it or not. There's also, you know, what, um, a table for armor and weapons, you know, what damage they do, how much they cost, how much they weigh, or what the effect on armor class is, if it's armor, um, and things like that. Um, that could be useful, but again, it's the sort of thing that people will note down on their own character sheet and manage independently. So um, I think, yeah, I, I think a lot of that you can get away with not having. Um, and if there were one other thing that it would be useful to have on this little mini uh, referee screen. It would probably be the uh, turning the undead. Um, that would be useful to have if there's a cleric in the party. 
Um, apart from that, I think a lot of the other things that they commonly put on Game Master screens are just so simple or intuitive that you definitely don't need to have them in front of your face all the time. So now let's look at the books themselves. So all four of these booklets are soft cover. They are perfect bound. It looks to be pretty good bounding or binding. Um, I mean, to give you an idea what that is, is that the, um, in case you're not au fait with publishing terminology, so the signatures, which are like when you print out paper, you print it off on um, a really large sheet and then you fold that up until you get um, 32 individual pages. And then you cut the tops off because there'll be little folds and stuff and that, and then, you know, trim it. And that you, then you get a little bundle of 32 pages um, and that's called a signature. Um, so when you look at the, uh, the binding of a book, you'll see what it looks like little booklets. Um, and these are all stuck into hot glue so they get the cover, they put hot glue in it, they stick the signatures in it in the correct order, and then when the glue hardens and dries, it's bound. Um, that does mean that there is a chance of the glue deteriorating over time and breaking and some of the signatures can come loose. There's not a huge chance of individual pages coming loose. You tend to get that with the more accordion binding where they chop the ends of the signature off and stick all of that into the glue. And that's when individual pages will come loose. So the binding is pretty good. Um, this will probably last a little bit. However, I do intend to take it easy when possible. I don't want to be bending it backwards and stuff. Um, the, uh, all of the booklets have full cover front, like full front cover art but the back covers are solid colors and they're really, um, they do remind me a lot of like the original BX essential booklets. Um, so, uh, the player book is like a nice sort of indigo or blue, like bluish indigo. There's more of a, a purple for the spells, um, green for the monsters and then a little kind of rust color for the, uh, referee book. Um, it's all very attractive. Um, the player book, uh, has a nice kind of Conan-ish figure, you know, like a big muscular, long-haired person holding up a big sword, but it's very Conan. Uh, and, uh, initially my, my, I was really surprised when I cracked this open. Um, again, these are probably details that were in the, in the, um, Kickstarter, but I didn't pay that much attention. I really mainly paid attention to the details of the box because that was my main, the main selling point for me. So the paper is glossy. Um, I did not expect that. Um, I'm not sure, to be honest, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. Um, I mean, it certainly means it's a very high quality paper. I guess it's probably um, going to have more resistance to marking and things like that. But uh, yeah, so it's glossy, shiny paper. It feels good to the touch. I did. I also didn't expect this to be printed in two color. So there's only full color on the covers and like wherever there's like, you know, full color front art inside, everything's black and white, but it isn't black and white. It's two color printing. So the main text is always in black, but you know, headings and stuff and any, any of the uh, black and white art, like it's in a second color. 
um, that ups the price of printing. So I'm really surprised that they did that. Um, it looks good though. It is attractive. Um, it really helps the formatting of the charts. And I already did a, a, a page by page comparison of all the content of these booklets with the Swords and Wizardry Complete PDF. And I mean, there's, there's, it's an absolute straight reprint in many ways, except that they've tweaked exactly where certain things appear on the page in order to make the spacing work. I mean, having said that there is going to, there are some, there is some white space in these. It's not the uh, flawless formatting and page or typesetting that uh, you get with uh, Gavin Norman's old school essentials, but it's pretty good. And where there have, where there were surprising things, surprising things, they have, created more shaded text boxes text boxes than uh are in the original pdf which makes certain things stand out better to the eye and they're things like combat methods and other other like uh handy notes and stuff like that so considering that you probably are going to be using this as a table reference certain things stand out better and that is good um Having said that, so initially I was I was less impressed with the player's book and the referee book than with the other two. Um, and the main thing is that at the time I was very much comparing it to Old School Essentials, where every single book in that box set is designed for ease of reference at the table. And with Swords and Wizardry, they really just, they just cut off so that everything in the complete rules up to the spell section... That's the player's book. All the spells, that's one book. All the monsters, that's one book. And then everything else is the referee's book. Um, and they didn't do any more reformatting than they had to to make it fit to the new size. Um, and that actually means that there's quite a lot of fluff. Um, there's quite a lot of text in here that was originally written for a full-sized hardcover book that you would you know, you would have it at the table, but you would also have it at home reading the rules to familiarize yourself with them or rolling up your character or creating your campaign or even just getting inspiration for the next character or campaign you're going to make. Um, and those are the kinds of things that are going to add extra bulk at the table. And, and uh, the uh, the booklet is printed in two columns. It's not the smallest font I've ever seen. I don't have any trouble reading it, but a lot of fans of old school D&D are fans of old school D&D because they played the system that their this rule set is emulating when it was the current version. So, you know, I have heard other reviewers, for instance, comment on small typeface in some OSR like print products um, as being an issue. And I feel like it's worth pointing that out. I don't know, like I said, I don't personally have a problem reading it. It's not too small for me, but it makes me wonder if it is going to be too small for some people. And if they could have maybe taken some text out to get a a larger typeface for uh, what they are keeping. And I think, you know, one um, one section that jumps to mind is the example of gameplay you know where you have like a you've seen these before um 
it's written like a script and it, you know, it's people at the, you know, running through a scenario at, uh, at the gaming table. Um, these things are always a little bit silly. Um, they mainly, I mean, they, they, there was one in the very first ever edition of Dungeons and Dragons and they're, they're kind of necessary for people who, who haven't played before. If, uh, if people don't know how to play the game, you know, that's when you need the, uh, the example of play. If you don't know what happens during a game of D and D, but you know, as, as a, a table reference, uh, tool, it's too late to read the example of play. And if you want to know what's happening in, during a D and D game, if you're already at the table, the best thing to do is just look at what's happening at the table. So if there was anything they could have like cut to make more space or to make a bigger font or something like that, um, it would have been, you know, the example of play. And I feel like there's probably a lot of like inspiration flavor text, um, that, you know, a scrupulous editor could have dispensed with to make, you know, the meatier things like the charts and tables and stuff bigger. But then uh, I kind of reconsidered because um, I'm no longer convinced that the the main purpose of this box set is to be for, you know, table reference. Um you know, in a way, in the way that, like, especially BX Essentials was a clear restatement of the BX rules formatted for ease of reference at the table. And um, I think it, one of my uh, one of my favorite uh, D and D YouTubers, Captain Courageous, did an early review of BX Essentials, and I I, th I remember that he pointed out you couldn't really learn BX from BX Essentials. There's not quite enough information in there to teach you how to play the game. Um, it's a reference for people who already know how to play the game. It allows you to look up uh, rules quickly and easily during play. OS is, OS, old School Essentials, OSE, is slightly different. It is wordier. He has increased the length of all the sections. So... You can, it is a complete game. You can learn to play the game from, from OS Essentials, Old School Essentials, um, without having to have a copy of the original BX rules as well. Um, but I think it's definitely, it was definitely my impression early on that this was Frog God Games trying to make the Swords and Wizardry version of Old School Essentials. In which case, you know, you would have to say they didn't quite succeed. But I don't think that's actually true. I think I overestimated uh, how important the old school essentials model is to the Swords and Wizardry box set. I still think that's probably a factor. You know, the uh, I, th I think at this moment in time, BX is the leading flavor of old school D&D in the old school day, uh, gamer community. Whereas, I mean, in, in, in some, in some periods it's been white box. Everybody was playing white box. Um, I think everybody's playing BX now. And I think old, old school essentials is the main driver of that. So I'm sure frog God games were aware of it and I'm sure that was an influence, but I actually think that, they're doing something slightly different. This isn't an attempt to make the swords and wizardry version of old school essentials. This is, uh, 
a new way of looking at swords and wizardry that they're not they're not going for the big bulky hardcover books anymore they're going for slim well-made paperback books that are smaller easier more portable so in that sense you know they've done a better job than i initially gave them credit for um I do still wonder whether if you're using, say, the player's book at home to help you create a character, if this format is is, is ideal for home use because it is small. Um, it's not unusable. And, I mean, you know, you're going to have to compromise one way or another. Either you're going to make a big full-sized book that's great for use at home but it's heavy to carry to the gaming table, or you're going to make a nice portable book that maybe you did wish, like maybe when you are at home, you did wish it was a little bit bigger, but you're happy you don't have to lug it everywhere you go. So um, I'm, I'm still a little bit on the fence about whether it's all that useful, but um, I'm more inclined to judge it on its own merit now. So we'll move on to spells and magic. Um, I got my second surprise flipping through this. It is also in two color. Um, but it's not quite the same color. Um, there's more of a dull, like more of that. Well, I guess so it matches the second color of the player's book matches the back cover. Um, so it's kind of an indigo blue. Um, the second color of the spells book matches the back color, cover of the spells book. So it's more of a purple. Um, once again, all the main text is black. Any illustrations are in the second color and headings and box text and things like that um, are in the second color as well. Um, for this booklet in particular, it's actually got one over on old school essentials because old school essentials when they list their spells um follow the convention of listing them by class and level and then alphabetically within class and level so if you're ever going to look up a spell before you even begin you have to know who casts it and what level of spell it is and then you have to thumb through to that section and then you get it in alphabetical order. And that sucks. Um, that is the one thing that I would change about old school essentials if I could. Swords and Wizardry, they do have the spell list table at the front where they list the spell casters um, and all the spells by level. So you know, you know, which what spells do you get and at which level. But once you get to the spell descriptions, they're all in alphabetical order. And then every spell description begins by telling you whose list it's on and what spell level it is. And that way, all you need to know is the name of the spell to look it up. And now that the spells are taken out into their own separate book, looking up a spell at the table should be a matter of moments. Um, so in this sense, they've really improved um, 
upon upon old school essentials. And in a way, it's nothing new for swords and wizardry. They've always listed their spells like that, which is the right way or the better way, in my opinion. But now that it's in its own book, it's just like, well, this could not be easier. So I have literally no no problems with uh, this book. The monsters. Um, again, this was one of the reasons I I pledged for this uh this box set in the first place. And yeah, what can I say? It's all it's literally all the monsters. They haven't left anything out. I did a nice little check in comparison with the uh, PDF. Um, all the monsters in one booklet in alphabetical order. So like the spells, looking up a monster should be the matter of a matter of moments. No more scrolling through a big hardcover book or scrolling through a PDF to try to find the right section first. It's just I need a they're going to fight this monster. I drew this monster on a random table, you know. Now I need to have its stats. Just grab the monster booklet, flip through until you find the right letter of the alphabet. It could not be easier. And then we get to the referee book. So again, like the monster book, two color, the second color is green. The referee book is that kind of rust reddish brown for the second color. They all have the same glossy pages. Um, so the referee book has a similar issue to the player book, which since it just repeats everything from the full-sized version of the book, um, you do wonder if it's that useful at the table. However, it's probably at least slightly more useful because a lot of what is in this book is random encounter tables and treasure tables with descriptions of magic items. There is a section in the middle, the uh, the mass combat, aerial combat, and ship combat sections. Uh, frankly, that is like okay, they they're probably presented more wordy than you uh, you would get in like old school essentials, where it would be as succinct as possible with as many bullet points as possible to make it skimmable, but frankly like you would need those rules if i mean to let's be honest if you're running D, mass combat like literally armies versus armies aerial combat like fighting in the air or ship to ship combat these are not the most common occurrences in your game but if they ever did happen you'd want to have those rules handy so you could adjudicate it so now you do um the the problem like for a table reference book the thing that feels the least necessary for me is like the generic referee advice at the beginning and the sample dungeon and things like that like those are those are printed to give you an idea of how to create your own dungeon so that's good work for you to do at home in preparation for the game. It's not something you're going to be doing at the table. You're not going to be learning how to make a dungeon at the table when you're supposed to be playing the game. Um, but again, I think early on I was overestimating how much this rule set was meant to be copying old school essentials and underestimating what this represents for the future of swords and wizardry. Um, so we're going to talk about that next. So I've had this box set for a few days now, and I've had a, a, a lot of time to kind of 
look through it over and over again. I've had time a chance to go back over the Kickstarter to compare it to the other versions of Swords and Wizardry that I have. Um, I've even had a chance to look at other people's unboxings. Um, and my opinion of this box set has kind of improved over that time. Um, right off, I loved the box. I loved the dice. I loved the accessory pack. I loved the spells and monsters uh, supplements, especially. And, you know, I was a little bit dubious about the player's book and the referee's book. Um, because I was comparing this with old school essentials, thinking that this was supposed to be the swords and wizardry version to of or answer to old school essentials. And then um, I considered something else, um, something that I hadn't been thinking when I first opened the box, which is that this isn't actually just an imitation of old school essentials. This is representing a new direction for the swords and wizardry game. So in the first place, um, I have heard, I, I, I don't know if this is, I don't know 100% if this is true, but I've heard that they are, the frog God games are going to stop supporting the other flavors of swords and wizardry. So instead of there being, swords and wizardry white box swords and wizardry core and swords and wizardry complete there's just going to be swords and wizardry and and the and swords and wizardry will be complete it will they will take the complete rules and that will be the only version um they're they're dispensing with the three flavors they're saying this is swords and wizardry and like any rule set you can use as much or as little of it as you want to you can use all of it you can say we're not using that class or that playable race or whatever I'm going to cut off spells at this point. You know, you can make all those decisions yourself as the as the game master or referee. But from now on, there's only going to be one version of the game. The other thing is that they are apparently going to be moving away from the full-sized hardback books. And they're going to be moving more towards these soft cover, high-quality digest-sized books. Uh, and I actually think this is great. Um, I think, I think first of all, there's been a, a trend in the, especially the old school uh, community towards selecting the digest size um, as the size when you do a print version of your product. There's still plenty of old school products that are only available as a PDF, but when you do either a print run or a print on demand option. It seems like a lot of people are that more and more people are going for a digest size and more and more people are going for a good quality soft cover rather than a hard cover. Um, I think this is great because it'll be cheaper for frog God games to produce hardcover books are very expensive to produce. Um, it'll be cheaper for us to buy things because they weigh less, international shipping will be cheaper. Um, and most importantly, it's going to be easier to bring this stuff to the gaming table. I mean, right now, none of us are really running in-person games because of COVID. But I'm sure we would all like to get back to running in person and meeting our gaming groups face-to-face -face at the same table. And when that happens, 
I don't want to be lugging a ginormous suitcase to my friendly local game store. I'm tired of lugging, you know, three or more hardcover books everywhere I go. Plus, you know, maybe battle mats and minis, maybe terrain, you know, uh, I'm tired of this. Um, one of the reasons I started running white box in the first place was because I got so sick of lugging all my fifth edition books, uh, back and forth when I had to, when I had to run fifth edition, I said, I don't want to do this anymore. So I said, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to start a white box campaign. We're going to just use the white box book, which is a soft cover digest size book. I mean, initially I gave people index cards for their character sheets and we did everything theater of the mind. And, you know, that's also when I stopped using a game master screen. I'm like, I'm going to just roll in the open. So I had my dice. I had the, I had my digest size book. The first adventure I ran was it fit on one page. I had one page that had the adventure scenario info on it. I had another page, which was the map and I mark, it was just a Dyson Logos map and I just marked it up myself in pencil. So all the things in each, each encounter area were just in the margins. I just wrote, wrote them, you know, and that was, you know, that was such a revelation that I could take a, like one small bag to my, my game store and run a game. And that game was no less fun than when I was lugging a library worth of books, plus minis and, you know, battle mats and different colored, you know, dry erase markers and things like that. So I don't want to go back to this heavy bulky thing. Um, this heavy, like carrying all this extra weight with me just to run a game that, that actually at the end of the day takes place in your imagination. Um, so I, I'm actually really excited if this is true, if they are pushing for smaller, more portable content rather than big bulky content, you know, um, I think this is, uh, an amazing, uh, new direction to be, to be taking. And like I said, the box that they supplied this in has a lot of extra room for further supplements. So, uh, there's a lot of scope. I mean, if they keep producing adventure modules that fit in this format, then, you know, you've got your rules, you've got your dice, you've got your adventure, you've got a pad of character sheets. There's plenty of room for your pencils and stuff like that. You know, you could just take this box and you're good to go. Um, you know, if you, if you do like your terrain and everything like that, then that's another story. But these days I run theater of the mind. So I'm looking at this box and I'm like, I could just take this box and that has everything I need. Um, so I am now kind of inclined to judge this as a much more successful, uh, project than I initially did, like as an imitation or a competitor, uh, for old school essentials, it maybe doesn't quite stack up, but as a new way of, of envisaging the future of the swords and wizardry rule set, I think it's a, a great success and a really exciting development. So should you buy this, um, buy this box set? First of all, um, 
if you want the collector's box like I have, I don't think I don't think there are any left. I, I did have a look on their website recently and I did not see that version listed. Um so I think you'd be stuck with the standard box. Um I watched somebody doing an unboxing of the standard box and there's a few differences. Um there is text um there's there's images on the side of the box basically when you take the lid off the inner box has uh black and white artwork around it which mine doesn't i think it's probably keeping in with the basicness of you know the the faux minimalist of of the collector's edition so i mean if you want the collector's edition i think you're out of luck if you don't if you didn't already back at that level um that's not the end of the world. The standard box looks amazing and they're exactly the same size and have exactly the same content. The only difference is the box artwork, which I wanted for that callback to the original white box. Um, and that's the only reason I backed at this level was, you know, because that's what I wanted, but you can still buy the boxes from Frog God Games websites. Initially, they were still offering them at the Kickstarter price. Um, I don't think they are anymore. Um, when I when I last visited the website, I'm pretty sure they're only available at full price. And that's plus postage and handling. And keep in mind that you would have to order, if you want, the, the starting adventure, the more monster supplement, and the referee screen. Those are, you'd have to buy that separately. The access, you'd have to buy the accessory pack separately. Um, so it's a pretty pricey buy-in. Um, so is it worth it? Firstly, if you are not running Swords and Wizardry and you want to, and you are going to want physical copies, then I would definitely recommend this. Like, first of all, if it's true that they're switching to this format, then you might as well get in now. Um, but also... If you if you do splurge for the box set and the accessory pack, you literally have everything you need to start running the game right away. You know, just like I said earlier, you could take that box to your your friendly local game store or wherever you're going to run and in that box is everything you need. Um and that's pretty damn cool. So if if you haven't if you're if you're up for running Swords and Wizardry, and you haven't started yet, and you don't know any physical Swords and Wizardry products, then I definitely think it's worth getting this box. If you already are running Swords and Wizardry, and you, like, so let's say you're running from PDF only, then I still think it's worth buying this box set. If you're, if you're thinking, I'm, I'm really ready to make the commitment to buying the physical rule set, I would definitely still consider doing this um you might not necessarily want the accessory pack if you've already been running it because like for me i have uh monstrosities and tome of horrors and things like that so if you have those things too you know or like you may already be running a different adventure your party may already be past starting level so you know you may just want to stick to just the box set um and continue running the other content the way you are, you know, if, uh, 
I think the the tricky thing to advise is whether if you already have the complete rules as a physical copy, as a physical book, do you want to switch? Because you probably already shelled out a bit for that book. Um, And now it's like, do I shell out even more? Um, I'm going to say, like, I could definitely see you saying, well, I don't think I really have room in my budget for that. I don't think I want to shell out $60 US uh, for content that I effectively already have. But I am going to point out one more time that you will probably find it super convenient to be able to look up spells and monsters easily in their own booklets. Um, I, I don't, I would advise you not to underestimate how much more convenient that's going to be going forward. I hate page flipping. Um, I, it's one of the reasons why I don't ever run things like Pathfinder and stuff is that I just, I don't like flipping through massive books or, you know, which book do I even flip through before I, before I find the right rule and stuff like that. I like to keep the page flipping and the consulting of references to a minimum. I feel like that's putting pause on the game. So I would rather, that's one of the, like, I like light systems where you don't have to do that a lot in the first place. And when I do, I still wanted to take up the minimum amount of time possible. So I would still recommend that you, uh, you consider uh, buying into this. Also, you know, yeah, if this is the way forward, then, you know, we're all going to probably have to, you know, buy into this. I really hope that they actually do put more supplements out that fit in this box and that I can keep padding my box out with more stuff. Um, I guess the last thing I'm going to mention is would you buy this over old school essentials and that's really a case of which system do you want to run in a lot of ways complete od and d like swords and wizardry complete and bx are they're not that different um, one of the main differences between the two systems is actually races class um, BX uses racist class. So you can't play like an elf magic user. You play an elf, which is kind of a combination of a fighter and a magic user. You can't play a dwarf fighter. You play a dwarf and dwarfs are effectively a type of fighter. But like, if you're going to, if you want to play a dwarf, then that's what you are. You're a dwarf. If you want to play a halfling, that's what you are. You're a halfling, you know, um, BX has a lot of fans. And I mean, either they're house ruling that that's not how it works or they don't mind. But I know that that is one of the contro- the controversial parts of BX is, is race as class. Um, the other thing is when my group switched, okay, we, we have, we've switched to BX. So we're now, we are running old school essentials. Okay. We were switching from swords and wizardry white box, not complete, but I did notice a couple of things um attack bonuses are not as good in bx so they've taken a little hit on how effective their attack rules are i think level progression is a little bit harder in bx and i think at least one of my players lost a level when converting their character to the bx version of what they are um we have two magic users in the party and they were at a in white box 
and I think the progression is the same for Swords of Wizardry Complete. They were at a, a stage where they had four first-level spell slots. Now they have two. So the characters are a little bit underpowered compared to, to the Swords and Wizardry version. So there are some advantages to playing Swords and Wizardry over BX, um, which is um, the characters are going to be a little bit more powerful. Now, I mean, maybe as a referee, you don't want them to be more powerful, Um but yeah, that's sort of. Does, I I think the power, the relative power level of characters is higher in Swords and Wizardry than the corresponding character would be in BX Essentials. Um, and I think the single saving throw. I really miss that. Um, now, whenever somebody needs to make a save, I need to remember which kind of save it is, and it's not that hard. But it was even easier when it was just one saving throw and all they had to do was, is this magic i get a bonus on saves versus magic oh yes it is magic or no this is not magic you know so there are some yeah there's some definite advantages to to running swords and wizardry over old school essentials i mean ultimately is going to come down to preferences but those are some things that i've noticed um s- BX is a little bit more complex because of the saving throws and the characters are a little bit less powerful. So uh, that's something to to think about. So uh, bottom line, this box set is actually pretty kick-ass and uh, I'm really excited to see what Swords and Wizardry has in the future you know, to continue this format. And I'll tell you this, um, like I'm, I'm, I'm basically like, I'm practically obsessed with white box style D and D. Um, it does remain my favorite system, but I have to say looking through this box set over and over again, over the past few days, it has really got me itching to just run like the full, like to run complete. Um, which is, you know, that's new for me. I, 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 for years is like ah, that version of the game is too rules heavy for me it's got too much bells and whistles that i don't need i like everything stripped down and maybe it's really just a matter of having run white box for a little over two years i got that super stripped down stuff out of my system and i'm ready for a little bit more complexity but i was you know i've, I've been looking through these these this rule set looking through these booklets and saying you know what running this rules as written would be a lot of fun and it wouldn't be that much work. Um, It's kind of got me itching to like, you know, start a brand new swords and wizardry complete campaign. Um, So it's inspired me to like, yeah, to, to start prepping for a game using this material or for a campaign using this material. And I mean, that's the ultimate, um, that's the ultimate litmus test for quality of any rule set, isn't it? Is if you, if if by reading it you become excited about playing it, and uh, it's definitely done that. So yeah, I am super happy with this. I think they have done a good job. It's not that there, you know, there are a few things that could have maybe been slightly better, but they managed to get this beautiful looking box with enough goodness to keep like to to start a new campaign and keep you gaming for a long time, you know, and uh, 
I'm really excited to see what the future holds for this rules for this system. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode, please listen again and spread the word. I don't have a Patreon and I don't want your money, but please hurry back and be sure to bring your death certificate.